Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trino Community Broadcast. Today I have Cole with me. Hello. Cassia and Martina joining us from Poland. And Monica is going to tell us a little bit more about something that's coming up. It's super exciting because Trina is turning 10. Yes, Trina is turning 10 very soon. So we have some exciting news about that. So Monica, tell us what's happening. Yes, Trino has its 10th birthday on August 8th, and we have a lot of exciting ways to celebrate that. Specifically, we are going to be gifting some Trino birthday shirts out for anyone who completes the Trino birthday challenges with Space Quest League. So Space Quest League is something that Starburst has been doing to throughout the whole year. Um, I made some specific challenges that are SQL based and they're going to run on the TCPH data set. So you can do them in Trino. Um, and basically if you answer these easy SQL questions, you get a Trino birthday shirt. Um, but also just stay tuned for all of the exciting events that we have from us and the Trino community to celebrate that 10th birthday. So yeah, I'm really thanks for letting forward. me pop on. Uh, always. I'm really looking forward to that. I saw some, some like uh, bunny and cake designs and oh, stuff yeah. for that. So should be good. Be awesome. yeah. <laughs> but but no spoilers, right? <laughs> we, there's still a little bit of time left. We're still <laughs> in the frenzy of preparing everything, so it's all happening. So that's good. And by the way, a uh, funny side fact, Space Quest League, some people didn't realize that that's S-Q-L. Yeah. So there is something related there going on. <laughs> so yep, it's all about, about learning that language that we all love and hate at the same time, right? Like, <laughs> And, and and today it's awesome because we have both Martin and Cassie here who who like are amazing with SQL and uh, whenever it comes to be super complicated, we go to the rescue to Cassie and Martin and go, what is happening here? Um, what can we do? And we actually talk about a very cool new feature that um, Cassia has worked very hard on. And um, more about that later though, right? Cassia and uh, Martin, you want to say a quick hello? Hi everyone, uh, it's good to be here, I think for the third or fourth time now. Yeah, you're regular, that's for sure. Well, I mean, you're, the, you're an important part of the Trina community, right? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> and Cassie is also a recurring guest at this stage, right? Yeah, that's my second time, so thanks for your patience, thanks for having me here again. I'll no, try we're to honored to have you, it's always good. Some of my enthusiasm for this new great feature today yeah yeah no it's it's really amazing um looking forward to it and then cole um should we talk about the releases a little bit yeah sure also i i just feel like while we're talking about martin being the rescue i think a fun trino lore fact is that martin actually talked me through the first sequel query i ever wrote so that's a that's a fun <laughs> little tidbit for you but hey, that's a flashback that. <laughs> <laughs> i was uh back when i was an intern on on the presto team when it was still presto so yeah, well, that's no longer there. We have Trina now, right? No, that was, that was way back in the day. <laughs> uh, but okay, so we can talk about releases a little bit. Manfred, if you want to pull up the highlights. Um... Yeah, so what do we have? Um, with our regular cadence now and our monthly Trina community broadcast, we're pumping out the releases every week. 387, 388, 89, 90, 91. A lot has been happening. Um Numerous changes as usual, a lot of stuff related to uh, Iceberg and Hive and general object storage connectors. Like we now support the Databricks Runtime 10.4 in the Delta Lake connector, a couple of performance improvement like unnesting and then cool or like with raw data types. Uh, one thing that people uh, troubleshoot with now often is the explain plan, and that now supports JSON output, so that can be handy if you need to do some automation or want to have a better rendering of that. Um, but I think uh, all of these changes, you can see them in the release notes, they're quite interesting uh, and uh, in detail. The highlights are here on our blog post, you can see them here. Um, the major, major highlight I think is there is that we are now on Java 17. So 390, Trino 390 was the first release that culminated in months worth of effort um, getting to Java 17, where we actually ended up working with upstream projects to make sure those libraries are on Java 17 and so on. So we're not in isolation having to work on this. Um, and 
we are now at Java 17 and it's so far it's working pretty good as from what I can see. Martin, do you know in the community did you hear any major issues, people coming up with problems? No so major issues. Uh, and, and, and here at, at Starburst, we run our production workloads on uh, 17. Uh, Galaxy runs on 17, so we, we have been using it for a while. Um, in in a couple of weeks, we so so right now what, what we have is the runtime needs Java 17, but we still develop using uh, Java 11, and we compile bytecode for Java 11. So we have an out if if we have we find that problem, we can roll back the change and and, and fix it. In a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to change the development version to be Java 17. So we can start taking advantage of language features and APIs that are available in the new version. So that will be coming up uh, uh, in the near future. Yeah, and that's yeah, super exciting. Developers... That's six versions of language features that have been added all showing up at once. So it used to be Java 11. So when you add six versions and you get all the new modern language features that have been added over the last half a decade or more, it, it gets pretty exciting. There's well, it's not half a decade, but... <laughs> I mean, when, when did Java 11 come out? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's uh, a good question. 18 or something like that. Yeah, you know, that's four years. Almost half a decade. Yeah. Yeah, in in internet time, it's, it's forever, right? <laughs> in internet time, it's a millennia, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought that's super cool. And it's good to hear that there's no major hurdles or anything. Obviously, the Starburst offerings have all also been updated and everything, so... Um, very cool, Trino on Java 17. Everyone will get a bit of a performance boost. And um, I know a lot of the developers are really looking forward to use things like multi-line multi strings to not have to escape everything and can still format it nicely in the source code and stuff. So I, I fully expect uh, to, to be a lot of code changes coming in. So <laughs> it should be interesting on the mergers. Um, the only last thing I wanted to mention, and that's uh, that the Elasticsearch connector now no longer supports uh, Elasticsearch versions 6.6.0 and below. And we also added testing for OpenSearch 1.1.0. Uh, so um, getting really solid there on both on the AWS usage and on general Elasticsearch usage. And as a Passover, I wanted to mention that the raw table function passed through in Elasticsearch is now here. And that was implemented with, what was it implemented with, Cole? Polymorphic table functions. That's right. So, and you'll see um, it is much better to use than the old crafty one we had where you had to base 32 encode the, the like the text and stuff like that. So um, that was a real hack. <laughs> it was a hack. <laughs> and now with polymorphic table functions, we have an actual cool feature. And so let's talk about that some more. Yeah. So usually with Trino Community Broadcast episodes, we kind of like to bounce around from topic to topic. We'll do one theme, a pull request of the episode that's unrelated to that, maybe do some cool demos, just whatever's come up from the community um, as kind of a hodgepodge. Um, this episode, we're trying something a little different. Uh, we're going to be a little more focused where we're going to spend the whole episode diving into polymorphic table functions and talking about specifically what they can do on Trino. Um, we've got query pass through implemented as an initial approach to them, but there's a lot more coming down the line that we're still working on. Um, so we wanted to take this broadcast to look at it, look at what you can do with polymorphic table functions, talk about why we should be excited about them and kind of just let everyone know, like, why are we, why do we want this? Why are we working on this? And what's it going to unlock in Trino moving forwards? Um, now, of course, the issue is, if you've never heard of polymorphic table functions, that just sounds like a mouthful. Um, it's kind of Hello, <laughs> <laughs> saying it a few times fast is a really good way to stumble and trip over yourself. Um, but that's why we've got Martine and Kasha here, and especially Kasha, who's been working on implementing this. Um, and Kasha, if you could, you want to talk about what polymorphic table functions are and how we can understand these things before we start to appreciate them? Sure. Uh, I think we need to start with some definitions to, to see what this stuff even is. Uh, so the first thing that is that polymorphic table functions are a part of a bigger thing, which is table functions. And table functions are one of the kinds of functions we've got in SQL. And uh, what defines them is that these are the functions which return tables. 
you've got scalar functions, aggregate functions, and window functions. These are all kinds of functions that return scalar values. And opposed to those, table functions return tables. And if you want to use a table function in your query, then you can put it anywhere where a table would fit. That is somewhere in the from clause of the query. Um, Cole, if you go to fish, oh yeah, that's the first example. This is the easiest way to invoke and use a table function in a query. You need this uh, keyword table, and then in parentheses you invoke a table function. This invocation is like any function invocation in SQL. And as you see, you can just select from the result of the function as it was a table, because it is a table. Um, of course, tables, and so the table functions can appear also in different contexts in a query, like, for example, in join. And uh, in, in this example here, you join two table functions. There's my table function joined with another table function. They are both used as tables. Because can I ask something table. about that there? Yeah? When it <coughs> says table, my function foo. Basically, yeah. my function foo passes in a parameter to return some sort of table and then you go t1 xyz so the table is called t1 it's like as and then That's individual columns are x y and z is that what that is yeah that, that that is actually not part of the table function invocation that's part of you could think of a, a table in in the front clause can be aliased uh, oh, so it's like as yeah so and so Okay. So it's just like you have any other table, you could have a table name there. Uh, well, in this case, you have a table function, then you can alias the output of that table with a given name and column so you can reference them in the rest of the query. Okay, so you can do the join then or, or, or whatever conditions and whatever else on those X, Y, Z and A and B. Yeah, right. that's exactly why I added oh. those aliases so that we can use them in the join condition. Okay, cool. All right, so these are table functions and polymorphic table functions are just a subset of table functions. And what defines them is that the returns, the schema of the return table is not known upfront. It's only determined at the moment when you invoke the function and pass in the arguments. So it can depend on the arguments. And in theory, the return schema can be different per each invocation. And um, I prepared some simple examples to, to show the difference between a monomorphic and a polymorphic function. And the, the first one is about a monomorphic function. Uh, Cole, could you please uh, show that sequence? Not all oh, this one, yeah. Uh, the sequence function. Uh, please note that all the examples here, these are hypothetical functions. We don't have them yet in tree no, but uh, there are some good ideas of what could be added and they will probably add it at some point, but not yet. These are hypothetical functions. So are, are there hypothetical elsewhere? Like are there other databases that support this kind of stuff? Or is it just in the spec and no one is using it yet? Like like we are like it feels a bit like we are like sort of more on the like bleeding edge, like a new spec kind of thing. Is that right? Uh, the, the spec doesn't define function table functions. The, it just defines the framework for how you yeah. create them, how how they behave, how they they operate and so on, the semantics and so on. Uh, there are some, I mean, of course, the spec is derived from uh, like yep. from, from features that some vendors, database vendors implement. And okay. I think some, some, I think it's Oracle, maybe DB2, so have support for table functions and for polymorphic table functions. And, and they may have some, I, I know if sequence in particular, but uh, there are some functions that, that they, they bundle. Products, but it's definitely a rather modern feature like with my old crusty sql knowledge from like long time ago i've never seen that before <laughs> no yeah. this, this feature so the, the table functions have existed for a long time uh polymorphic tables of functions which is what Kaj is going to describe now were, were uh, introduced in the 2016 version of the sql specification so mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's a long time in internet uh, uh, time time horizons, but uh, it hasn't been too long ago, and it takes time to implement uh, those kinds of features in a database anyway. So uh, there are not many databases that support it. So so Trina is a, a little bit on the leading edge there, yeah, in a sense. Yeah. Then, 
That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, thanks to you, right? <laughs> All right. So uh, this sequence example, this uh, well, the previous one, this is an example of a monomorphic function because you can pass in the argument the length, but you always know that whatever length you pass, still always the return table is going to have exactly one column and that column will be of, of type begin. So there's no polymorphism in that. It's a monomorphic function. And there's another example with a polymorphic function. And this is um, a hypothetical CSV reader, which is supposed to turn CSV files into tables. I think that uh, Cole will uh, cover this example in depth a, a bit later. Uh, I added it only to, to showcase the, a polymorphic function because what this function does, probably when it gets the, the file, the, the argument, it opens the file and it reads the first line of the file to see the headers. When it reads the headers, it knows how many columns there are and what are the column names. So this is clearly a polymorphic function because you have to invoke it and pass a concrete argument so that the output schema can be determined. And another cool thing about the table functions in general is that they can take tables as arguments. And uh, this, is, uh, this thing is here in the next example. This is the top and plus function. Uh, this is also a hypothetical function, which is supposed to take an input table and return the top and rows of the table, plus additionally one row, which is a summary of the remaining part of the table. So you, you pass the input table, you, then you have to tell the function how to order the table and what's the n, the, the required number of rows. And we can imagine that the output schema should be exactly the same as the schema of the input table. Like in this example, this is TPCH orders. So this is also a polymorphic function because only when you invoke it, when you pass the input table, it can be determined what is the output schema. So, so, so can you can you go back to the sequence uh, for a second? I just have like silly questions, right? Like, so so for for those of us that are not that technical, <laughs> so basically, this would return, like, like if you run this query, it would return one, two, three, four, all the way to whatever. I'm That's the idea. Yeah. By the way, th this one in particular could be a polymorphic table function which uh, could say if the length is less than what can fit in a tiny end, it returns a table with a column oh, yeah. end. If it yeah. fits in a small end, it returns a table with a small end column and so on. So yeah. you, can, you can specialize the type based on the arguments that were passed in. Okay, so, so this is kind of a data generator thing then in this case, right? Correct, yeah. In yeah, this yeah. Case, yeah. And that, that's what a table function is, it's a table that uh, so it's a function that produces tables. So it, it's 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 either it produces uh, tables because it took some inputs that happen to be tables and it's transforming it, or it's generating generating data from from nothing, like in this case. So what are some like like do you have any practical use cases for something like that, for example? Uh, sequence, yeah, that would be a practical use case. There's lots of cases where you you want to generate a sequence of values and. And right now we have to, we have a we have a, um, a function that generates an array of values, and then you have to unnest it to turn it into a table. So this is a more natural way of doing that. Mm. Okay, that's cool. And then yeah, the CSV reader. I mean, that's obviously a yeah. good example. And then go to the next one. The what was it? That one. So top n plus. I, I'm not, I'm not sure I understood what you're saying. Like what's returned there? It would return the top 100 rows of the TPCH orders table ordered by date. And then what's the plus about? You get a 101st row, which provides a summary of everything else that hasn't been included in those first 100 rows. What's um, the summary of that? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand what that would look like. It would depend on how you would implement the function. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so, so this function is, uh, this example is actually, it's a, there's a document the companion to the SQL specifications, uh, like a 170-page summary of how the how the feature works. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. There's 90 pages yeah. about the examples. Yeah. This is one of the 
examples. So they, they give a bunch of examples to motivate the different aspects of the feature and the semantics. And, and they give an example like this. And I think what they, the semantics of the function they define is you get the top n values and then you get one row that has the sum of the, of the uh, for example, if you're doing the, the, the top n by, by price, uh, if, you're, if you have orders or something like that, then it will give you one row that has the sum of the prices of all the remaining orders or something. Oh, of the remaining ones. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Now, Avis is asking, uh, thanks for jumping in. And he's asking a good question. Is this function available on latest Trino? The answer is, it depends what we're talking about specifically. <laughs> so we go into a lot more details about that, Avis. So thanks for jumping in. And um, that's what this is all about. Um, I think... Um, if there's anything left at the end of this broadcast in terms of questions, please chime in then. Um, we will cover a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah just, to be clear, just to be clear, so this feature is a very complex feature. It uh, has a lot of moving parts, and we've, what we've, we've been doing is tackling it piece by piece. And some yeah. parts of the feature are implemented, some parts are uh, coming up, and we're going to talk about and by the way, the, the pass-through stuff that I mentioned for the Elasticsearch connector, that is implemented and it is implemented for a whole bunch of other connectors. And that's already a very cool feature, which we will cover in more detail later. Awesome. You want to go to the next one now that all my silly questions are answered? <laughs> so what is this system? Ah, uh, I know. Uh, this is an example for uh, the limited model we've got uh, currently. Yeah, because, well, I need to explain that what we added currently to Trino is um, some part of the framework for table functions. Like Martin said, we are tackling it piece by piece so that with each piece we can provide some value. And uh, first of all, we are providing, we are planning to provide the full complete framework for table functions, including polymorphic table functions. And this is so that we can add some cool implementations like the query pass-through capability, but also this is meant to enable anyone, including us, to add their own functions in the future easily. And uh, currently the framework is limited in the way so that we can add any table functions which don't take input tables, but additionally, um, the Trino engine does not know at the moment how to execute the table functions. The, the trick is that the table function should be pushed down to a connector and executed by the connector. And uh, I, I thought I, I would show you a plan uh, to, to show a bit what's going on inside, right? So when you invoke a function like, like the one in the previous slide, um, this is one of our testing implementations. And then a special plan node is created in the query plan called the table function node. And you can see it uh, there in the bottom of the plan, there's table function. It says that the name is simple table function, which is uh, the name of the function. Um, you can read that the layout, the, the produced table has one column named call of type Boolean. And uh, you can also see that it takes two arguments, column of type uh, varchar and ignored of type begint. And uh, you might have noticed that the, the function was invoked in the previous slide, the function was invoked with no arguments. And uh, that was possible because uh, at the point when the function was created, uh, the arguments were declared as optional. That is, the default values were specified so that you don't need to uh, provide the arguments. So this is the initial plan. And then comes the optimizer phase. And in the optimizer, we've got the special rule, which is going to capture this table function node and push the table function invocation down to the connector. The connector has to recognize the function to accept the function and return a kind of a virtual table which represents the result of the function invocation. So this is the optimized plan still before the execution phase and there is no more the table function node. It has been replaced with a table scan with the same layout. And at this point, the engine does not have to know or care that uh, a table function was involved in the query. 
it is all up to connector. The connector is supposed to provide the result. So that's how just, it works. Just like any other result, right? Like, yeah. like a table scan is just what is yeah. returned when a table is read, right? So at that stage, the engine has no difference and the connector can deal with it. Yeah. From the right. engine's perspective, it's like reading a table from the connector, but the connector does the job to provide the table functions result. It's not, not an actual table, probably. Or it okay. might be. Can you go back two slides? I have a question on the invocation. So when you go system dot, does that mean the function is in the system catalog connector or whatever? Yeah. I, I can talk about that. Uh, so uh, functions in in SQL are uh, exist in a in a in a namespace. Uh, the namespace is defined by a catalog, a schema, and then the the function name. This is very similar to uh, tables and views and and well, materialized views in other in other systems. Every every object is namespaced, uh, and, and with this implementation, we added. Uh, I mean, traditionally or historically, functions in in Trino have not been namespaced. We are working on on adding support for that. For polymorphic table functions, we just implemented them that way. So. Mm -hmm. They, they exist within a catalog and a schema, and you can reference them by full by the full name. Or uh, if, if you if you have a catalog and schema selected, they will be resolved against that uh, as, as a relative name. Okay, cool, awesome. All right. So, with that example out of the way, or in that all of our definitions and understandings out of the way. Uh, that kind of sets the stage for us to dive into the more detailed examples of like specific polymorphic table functions that may one day come to exist. Um, so I'm going to slide up another bit of slides here. Um, and I'd like to be clear that these are all hypothetical examples as well. Um, we're going to go into more detail on what they might look like, but none of this has been implemented yet. Um, parts of it have been. Uh, but you can't go do this right now. Um, and by the time we get around to implementing it, it's quite likely it will look different than it does today, or it does on these slides. Um, this is kind of from that 170 page document talking about examples. Some of it is from examples of how other databases have implemented it, um, just to get some real world practical kind of samples of queries that could exist, um, but might not be the case. But just to be clear, um, a lot of the framework is already in place and Cassia yeah. and Martina are working on more of the framework. And we do want the community to let us know what specifically they're looking for, right? Yeah. And we'll also talk about what does exist in Trino in more depth a little later on in this broadcast. So stay tuned awesome. for that because there are cool things you can do already. Um, awesome. But to get into the first example, um, this is something... You can look at, at this query and maybe you'll understand what we're getting at. But so if you have a query where you have a table and you want most of the columns, but you're trying to select with not a couple columns. So we've got call one through call 10, and we're trying to select nine columns, but not the very first one. Um, if your column names are not quite as abbreviated or you have a bigger table with even more columns, um, trying to select without just a couple columns can be a bit of a pain. Um, and with polymorphic table functions, you can do something like an exclusion function where you select from a table and you just specify which columns you don't want included. Um, so we have this exclusion function is what it's called. And you see we're passing our table in and then the columns to exclude and we include column one in that descriptor there. Um, and I'll explain that in a little more depth down the line. But so this query does the same thing as this query. Um, it's just... If you have more things going on, or maybe you want to exclude more columns, it can it can get a lot simpler to write this query uh, when you do it this way. So this is a good way of utilizing kind of that defined at runtime schema because you couldn't do this with a normal table function because you're specifically excluding columns with this function. Um, so it's kind of the the real way to get towards it. Um, now the caveat here is that this isn't a great example in practice. Um, it's going to take you more time to define this function and make it work than it is to just write the query. Um, yeah, but if the function exists as part of the framework overall, then it doesn't, right? Yeah. Um, so 
maybe it'll take more time maybe you have to look at how to use it so it's it's a little bit of a contrived example but it's a good simple starting point um it also may not be quite as performant as just writing the query in native sql um so it's not going to be optimized as well perhaps until we get around to implementing further optimization um optimization comes after it becomes functional in the first place so like the point is don't rush to use a function like this when polymorphic table functions arrive but it's a good way to highlight what polymorphic table functions can do um and now we can look at some things that are a little more complex and a little more exciting so Cole, um, one, one thing i want to mention so th there is a real demand for function yeah. a function that that does this uh, i think if I recall, I think Hive has a syntax where you can say select, and you can say uh, you can you can select the columns you want by a regular expression. So you have some syntax to say I want all the columns that start start with the word foo or something like that, uh, and people use that. And we've actually had requests over the years to implement something like that, and we said, well, that's not standard SQL, so. Uh, we're not going to implement that. We try to we're trying to stay close to to, to a standard. With 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 support for a function like this, we could implement that, and any, anyone could use it by invoking that function instead. Yeah. Also, with the Hive example, I think it's super important to think about the fact that it's not so much common that you have ten columns. It's more common that you have like hundreds of columns, right? And then the problem of writing a SQL query gets a lot worse, right? So. <laughs> All right, so we're getting back to that CSV reader function that uh, we hinted at earlier. Um, so this is like a potential function signature. Uh, again, the caveat, this probably isn't how it'll look in Trino, but this is at least an example of how you might define something. Um, so now's a good time to address that descriptor keyword. Um, so it's a type that describes a list of column names. So you're, you're just, when you're providing a descriptor, um, it means that it's, it's typed for column names. Uh, and you'll be able to provide that to the function. You'll wrap in a descriptor cast to make sure that the table function understands what's going on. Um, so it'll be kind of, it's kind of like a varchar, but you're just making sure that the engine understands what's happening. Um, everything else on this function does what you'd expect. You're passing in the file name as a varchar. Um, you're passing in columns that you want to be interpreted as floats and columns that you want to be interpreted as dates. Um, so this is kind of contrived. You might have more parameters for various typings um, because the understanding of this signature is that the function doesn't know um, what the data types are and it's not trying to determine the data types. Uh, that's an implementation detail. It could try to cast the specific types um, as Martin hinted about earlier with sequence, it might try tiny int, small int, big int. Um, CSV reader might try various types. Um, but this function instead, it's it's depending on you to kind of say like, hey, I want these columns with these names to be interpreted as these types. Um, so when we invoke this function, all you have to do is provide the name of your file, a couple columns that might be interpreted as floats, and a column that might be interpreted as a date. Um, and the function will go from there. So this is a really abbreviated way to get through an entire CSV file. You don't have to strictly type out every single column, make sure every single name makes sense, make sure that everything maps one-to-one -one and there's no errors or else it'll explode. This just handles the work for you. All you have to do is type in the specific things that you want to be handled in a special way. Um, and it really abbreviates the process of reading a CSV file into SQL, um, which is really exciting. Um, and a super helpful example because college students everywhere are struggling with this on a daily daily basis. <laughs> so, so practical question for something like that, like the use case for this would be that the CSV file is on the workstation of the person that runs the SQL query and the file name would be like a local path. And then when they run the query, that CSV file is basically slurped into Trino on the server via the connection and interpreted as a table and then done whatever with it. No, that's not. Uh... So if you were running Trino on your machine, then that's how it would work. But if you run it on, if, the, if, the cluster, if Trino is running a cluster that you don't have access to, that function is going to execute in that cluster. So that my file.csv has to be accessible by that cluster. So the the, the better okay. use case would be that file is in on an S3 bucket, for instance. 
So you can put S3 colon slash slash. Oh, okay. Path or like a HTTP URL or something like that. HTTP URL or something like that. Okay. So one, one thing, uh, go, go back. Uh, well, I guess you're going to cover that. But one thing I wanted to uh, mention in general, uh, table, func uh, table functions, polymorphic table functions in particular, they can take three types of arguments. You have scalar arguments, which are like, for example, uh, Barker, the file name Barker there. Um, they can take table arguments, which are table inputs, and, and Kasha talked about that a bit, and they can take this descriptor arguments, which has, which is just a, think of it as a, a scheme. It can be a column names with their types, and then the function can use whatever, can do whatever it wants with uh, that descriptor. It could be to determine the output schema. It could be a, as a way to, um, I don't know, figure out how you should interpret the input data or whatever. It's just an argument that the function takes to, to decide what to do uh, in terms of processing. And, and the output of the table function is determined exclusively by the schema of the input tables, the descriptor arguments that get passed to the, to the function, and the, const, and the scalar values that get, get passed that have to be constants. So the function uh, during function resolution can inspect those things and determine what the output type is going to be. Yeah, so this is a. Uh... Potential output. I'm realizing now that the names are not the same. So our function has decided to anonymize names. That's a thing that can happen, <laughs> I guess. Not intended. Uh, it should say Mary and Edgar. <laughs> um, but so you can see that you kind of have this CSV example. Um, and the function has just read in the CSV. The schema has been determined by what's in the CSV. The CSV has five columns. So the output has five columns. And you can see that we described what columns were going to be floats and dates. Um, and the output table has that represented in that data. So we read the file, we interpreted the file, we created a table based on that file, and then returned that um, in a way that made sense from the CSV through the function. Um, so that's kind of just an input-output example, ignoring the Mary and Edgar suddenly becoming Alice and Bob. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's cool. Um, I wanted to also just mention, I think the like how you were saying that you have to like. Um, suggests the floats and date type data types there um i think we have connectors already that do some sort of like magic detection of of values and then automatically set the data type in the code base like i think like elastic search might be doing that already so when someone goes about implementing that csv reader they can potentially like you know hook into some of those mechanisms yeah, it'd be even neater if you just didn't even need to specify those types or give type hints or anything. And I think it's likely that that can work. Um, it's a little more effort in implementing the function, but it looks really nice to not have to even provide any arguments other than the file you oh, want. Yeah. Um, so moving on to another example, and this is a pretty exciting example um, because I know that we have lots of requests to have pivot as a keyword or as a function within Trino. Um, and similar to, say, the sequence or other things we've discussed about that aren't the SQL standard, there is no SQL standard for pivot. Um, but when you introduce polymorphic table functions, you can introduce a polymorphic table function that performs a pivot. Um, so this is, once again, another function definition. Um, this has a couple things that I want to talk about a little bit more. You can see there's a few more keywords that are showing up here. Um, the first one is that pass-through. Um, so if the function has passed through on the input, what that means is that the input table will still be accessible in the output. Um, so when we return this table function, you'll be able to get that um, from the output later on. Um, so that can be useful if you don't want to kind of have to select from it twice. You know, you pass it in as an argument and then it's already there. Um, and then with row semantics, um, that's just saying that the result will be determined on a row by row basis. Um, you can alternatively specify with set semantics, um, on a function. And that means that it will all happen at once. Um, it might be defined differently. Functions might just determine this in their implementation details, and that might not be serviced in Trino, but that's the general idea. And then we've got a lot of other arguments here. And so the idea is that you have two mandatory arguments of your output pivot columns, which is going to be the columns that are created in the pivot table. Um, and then input pivot columns, you need to provide one set of input pivot columns, but you can also provide more if you want. Um, 
So the first is required. You can specify more groupings. And this is the number of input columns um, to be pivoted and then, or the specific input columns to be pivoted. And then the key caveat is because you have input and output pivot columns, you need to make sure that the number of columns selected on the input and output are the same. So you have to have three input columns, three output columns in order for the pivot to work. Um, so that's kind of what this function definition is trying to tell you. And ultimately at the end of the day, it's gonna return you a table. And then the input table you provided will also be accessible because of that pass through. That all makes sense. That's yeah, that's definitely a feature that like a lot of people ask for. Like a lot of like, you know, Excel gurus feel. I feel. I feel like you see business analysts and like always creating some sort of pivot stuff. So, uh, doing it's a good that way to visualize data. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here is an example invocation of that function. Um, you can see that. We have our input table, my data as D. And then because of the pass through, we can select from that table D in our select that uh, comes out of that table function. Um, and then we're just providing output pivot columns, input pivot columns, um, and we're aliasing that table function result as P as well. Um, so when we invoke this function, we pass all our arguments, we're selecting what we want. Um, and so you might end up with this as a result where we have our input table on top, and then we call our pivot. We're only selecting four specific columns and we've pivoted so that the account type column now kind of combines account type one and account type two from that previous table to make it more readable, more condensed, and easier to understand. So we have pivoted. How exciting is that? <laughs> Very cool. I think that's going to be a hot candidate for someone to implement. Once yeah, the and framework I is in place. All the all the data scientists and visualizers and the people out there who like to make their data more readable or more understandable are going to love a function like this. Um, pivot tables are pretty nifty, so being able to implement them in Trino is is super cool, um, and it just works the way you'd want it to, which is is really nice. Um, so one final example. This one a little shorter, um, just because we're not going to go into too too many details, but this function is called exec R. Um, if we're talking about like data scientists and researchers being happy, I think this is the holy grail. Um, <laughs> the premise of this is if you really want to, you can just provide an entire script to run. Um, so this function executes an R script on a given input table, uh, however you want it to be. Um, so you can see this time we have no pass through um, because there's no way for to know what's coming through after the script has run. Um, we have set semantics because it's being all processed at once by the R script. Um, and again, you see these this row type hint um, where instead we're, we're hinting at all of the various um, columns and what types they might be. Um, but ultimately, the idea of this is that there's this script argument. Um, and I think the way it's defined in the... Uh, justifying examples is that you simply paste the script in. Um, so it's going to be a little clunky, but ultimately you can run R code through this function to modify, manipulate the data however you want. Um, so if you are more familiar with writing code in R, then you can go figure out how you want to do your query in R, and then you can paste that script in and you don't need to know how to do it in SQL in order to make it work. Um, it's probably not going to be quite as fast or performant, but it's a way to access the data and change it around or use it uh, in ways that are just more handy and familiar to a different grouping of people who have different skill sets. Um, so that kind of makes Trino a little broader, a little more accessible to a wider audience. Um, and this is something that isn't going to be too terribly hard um, to get up and running from my understanding as long as you have an awareness of how R runs. Um, and other languages will also work as well. So it could be exec py um, and run a Python script if you really wanted it to work that way as well. Hmm. I'm curious how that would work actually. Like ultimately where does this function or script end up running? Like wouldn't it still continue to have to run in the JVM or would That's it be? It's up to the function implementation to decide. I mean, this is just a hypothetical example, but mm -hmm. you could have a, a function that, I don't know, runs a JVM implementation of R, I don't know if that exists, but uh, you could mm -hmm. run 
implementation of R that runs in the JVM and interpret a function, or it could exec R separately on the same machine, or it could call to a remote service that happens to provide facilities for invoking R scripts. Oh, yeah. It might be a combination of all those things for different deployments. You might need to sandbox the execution if you are in an untrusted environment, so you need to implement a function that will call out. I, for example, if you're on AWS, you might use uh, AWS Lambda as a, as a way to invoke this, to execute these functions. So oh, yeah. it's up to the function implementation to decide what it wants to do. Well, I see a lot of interesting PRs coming up here. <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting when these functions start getting implemented. Um, I'm excited for it. I might try and take my hand at doing one or two just for the fun of it as well. But well, so so one thing to uh, worth mentioning is that uh, so th this uh, these functions are going to be are, are provided by plugins. Yes. So they don't need to be inside Trino to be able to to, to have a, a specific function. So if you're running Trino, you can write a plugin, write your own functions. You can have them private to your installation and, and do whatever you want with those. Yeah. And otherwise, we have some that are already just on the connectors themselves. So it's kind of dependent. Um, I think on other databases, it's generally the understanding is you go implement your own table functions um, or go find them from someone that's already done it for you. Um, not a ton come out of the box. So it's it's a little limited what's there. Um, and we'll have to still decide how we want to work that on Trino as well. But that's enough about hypothetical examples and what might come down the road. Um, I think it's time to pivot to what we already have in Trino and what has already been implemented. Martin, if you want to pull up the uh, doc again, it's time to discuss. We have that same segment, the pull request of the episode. Um, and we're going to pass this back off to Kasha, who has done a lot of the work on what's been implemented so far. And our pull request of the episode is supporting. You want to just watch this. Is that what you were looking for, huh? That's what I was looking for. I didn't know where the <laughs> button was. I'm like, please, Manfred, press the button. <laughs> we needed the Yeah, we'll figure this out eventually, right? Like <laughs> with one monitor, it's a bit harder than with two. Yeah. So you want to look at the notes from the broadcast notes that are gonna go live. Is that right? Yeah, or we could just click on the PR if you want to go those. But um Kasha, if you want to talk a little bit about the supporting query pass-through for JDBC based connectors. Yeah, so no more hypothetical examples. This is real stuff now. And we're able to do this with this limited framework we've got right now. And this was just like a perfect fit for the framework because uh, query pass-through is something that is that's made for the connector. So yeah, if maybe we could just open the pull request because there's one particular class uh, I'd like to look at. Yeah, there's no link to it, so let me hack it. I should have linked it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do the hack. Pull request, random yeah, pull, request, pull request, change, change the number. Hello. <laughs> no. yeah, there we go. Yeah. OK. So you so, want to look at the source code files? Yes, please. Well, the framework is made this way so that you basically have to implement some interfaces and then it clicks and works. So the, I think we should go to class query because that's the, the class that that's a common implementation. Oh yes, this one. That's, we just said that one common implementation for all the connectors. And uh, this is, uh, all right. So it implements a bit lower, please. Here it is class query function, which extends the abstract connector table function. This is the like the canonical way that uh, we should do this. There's a, this abstract connector table function implements an interface in the SPI, but uh, we added this abstract uh, implementation to make things even easier. And uh, there are just two main components that we should look at. There's the constructor, and the constructor, it describes, yeah, this method, it describes the metadata of the function. So we can learn from this, the schema name, which is, uh, yeah, this one, I guess this is system because we usually use 
system here, then the function name, which is query uh, under the name. Mm, and then there's there are arguments listed. And in this case, there's just one argument of type varcar named query. Uh, that's just the text of the query that you pass to the function to push down to the connector. And the last argument in the constructor says generic table. And that is the information that it is a polymorphic function because the generic table means that you will only learn what the table is when you invoke the function. Of course, you cannot say that upfront because the, the shape of the table depends on the query you pass. So this is one important method. And another is analyze, uh, which is yeah, just right here. And the main uh, reason for that method is to determine the output type, the relation type, that is the, the scheme of the table that the function produces. So uh, if you read into this, um, the, the function has to go to the connector and just show the query, ask the connector what the, uh, what kind of table is going to return for that query. And the return information is used to analyze the query, that is to determine the return type. And also it is used later at execution because the, the table is already there. So just to understand this, um, what's basically happening is you pass through a query string to the underlying connector, like, and then that natively creates whatever result with <clears throat> whatever query language it supports, whatever. Yeah, you prepare and then with that it text. comes back and says, hey, this is my result. And it has that sort of shape in this analyze thing. And then yes. you can pick it up. Yeah, sure. Like I showed you in, in, that, uh, in those plans earlier, uh, the connector will just understand this function and it will uh, swallow it and it will return a table handle that is the result of the function so that the engine can build it build it into the plan cool and in this pr you implemented this for i see here jdbc all over the place which means you implemented it for a whole bunch of jdbc connectors is that right yes i, I think these were all jdbc based connectors we've got except two except i guess clickhouse and phoenix which could be done too, but they need another uh, parameter probably because they were not good at determining the output schema. Mm -hmm. so In terms as, of the metadata. As, soon as we add uh, support for descriptor arguments, we can support query password for those. Okay, so do you have a demo or something for that, Cole? Yeah, we do have a demo. Okay, um, cool. So, so do we want to look at this some more, Cassia? Like I see here, the main part of that. Okay, so this is all uh, in the main plugin, the base plugin for the JDBC connectors, and then when you like go here, you see the implementation in each connector, basically, right? Like MariaDB, MySQL. Each connector registers uh, a distinct uh, instance of this function. So uh, in practice, we have all uh, every connector has its own function that it recognizes. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, let's add in the slides again, and we'll hit the next slide button. So the query function is great um, for a variety of reasons. Um, so you can just execute a query on the connector. Um, and so this, this can be pretty useful for a few different things. Um, the first one is the fact that Trino sticks to the SQL standard. Um, we, we stick to the SQL specification. There's not like custom keywords or clauses or functions that like aren't defined there. Um, and not every database does. Um, some things decide to go a little rogue or extend or do cool things that aren't defined in the spec. Um, and previously that just was lost. Like if you were running Trino on that connector, then whatever interesting extensions they had weren't accessible. Um, now you can pass a query through to the connector and the connector can just run with it um, and execute that for you, which is very, very neat and a good way to kind of extend Trino and make sure that it can tap into these neat features that exist elsewhere. Um, something else, which we're not going to do an example for just because it's kind of hard to highlight, is that if your connector is particularly optimized or your underlying database can 
go very blisteringly fast with a specific type of query or something like that, um, that Trino may not be as performant with, um, you can pass the query down to your connector to get that performance gain. Um, so that's not something we have an example for, but it's at least an idea of what this might be useful for. Um, so we just got a couple quick examples here. So this is one example with MySQL where you're utilizing the group concat function. So this is to make sure that you can combine all of the specific things based on a group. Um, so this would select a manager and then you'd have this grouped and concatenated column for all of the employee IDs um, that exist that belong to that manager. So if, if you wanted to get a list of reports or something like that, uh, MySQL would be able to handle that with a group concat function. Um, another longer example, which we're not gonna get too much into just because it's complicated um, and we're not here to talk about features in Oracle is that you could utilize something like the model clause in Oracle. So the model clause handles uh, multi-dimensional arrays in nifty ways and allows you to kind of run little functions or examples on data um, to analyze it better. So I think this is actually even a simplified version of an example that Oracle has for the model clause. Um, but it's just kind of a premise of, you know, like if there's this cool extension to SQL that exists, you can run the query function on the connector and utilize that. Um, and perhaps my favorite fun little tidbit of the episode is that we mentioned Oracle has polymorphic table functions implemented. So if you really wanted to, you could use the query polymorphic table function to call Oracle and then call a polymorphic table function in Oracle. So you can PTF while you PTF, um, <laughs> which... I'm not sure it's ever going to be a great idea, but if you really just can't wait, you're like, I really want to use those other examples from earlier, then you can implement whatever you want in Oracle and then invoke the query function to Oracle and let, let, let Oracle do the work from there. Uh, so, Yeah, I'd much rather you help and implement a PTF in, in Trino. <laughs> yeah. So that's a little bit of polymorphic table function inception for you. I just thought that was a little funny. Yeah, to, uh, I wanted to mention because it seems a little absurd to me, but you never know. Um, the cool, the cool thing I think with this is, and that's not uh, immediately obvious because we implemented it for the JDBC connectors, which natively run already SQL, and we like looking at a different SQL. I think this gets extremely different when you look at connectors where the underlying language processing language is totally different, right? Like the query language in Elasticsearch has all sorts of weird stuff that you can now invoke, right? Like full text search and whatever else. I'm not sure what Elastic query language does otherwise, but, and that applies to others. Can you think of any other examples where the underlying query language is like way different and like you can unlock some value from those systems? Uh, and there's definitely like Lucene indexes. If you have, if you had, uh, if you wanted to query data out of a Lucene index, they have specific syntax. Of course, Elasticsearch is built on Lucene, but uh, they have different a different DSL for that. Mm. Uh, you could think of uh, I don't a function that understands how to invoke HTTP APIs and and and, and formulate uh, HTTP requests and and do something with REST APIs or something like that. Uh -huh. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that I wanted to cl clarify also is this query push through relies on one thing, and that is that the underlying data source has an executable query processing thingy, which means it doesn't work <coughs> for Hive uh, Connector or Iceberg or Delta Lake because there is no underlying thing that processes the query. Trino does the whole lot. The only thing that's happening there is we read the files ourselves and we read the metadata. So there's no use case for query pass through to Iceberg because, well, Iceberg doesn't do that. Is that right? Yes. Cool. So, All right. Well, that's that's super excellent. And um, obviously, um, for those of you that haven't clued in yet, Martin is visiting all our contributors and maintainers and, and all our friends over in Poland at the moment. That's why he's in the same room with Cassia. I think that's excellent. We have contributors all around the globe and uh, getting a visit from Martinez is, is I'm sure special. So Cassia, cool <laughs> that you get to hang out with Martin for a while. That's great. 
And I hear you're you're heading on as well, Martin. Is that right? Was that you're heading on as well to some other contributors and community members after? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm here for uh, a bunch of related work related things, but uh, yeah, I'm going to be visiting Israel. So uh, we have a, a number. Where we also have a whole bunch of contributors, right? So it's all good. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, anything else we have on our radar? Cool. We need to talk about. Um, I think that just about covers it. I think we've explored the world of PTFs pretty thoroughly. Um, we've talked about where we're at now. We've discussed kind of what's coming next. Um, so unless anyone else has any questions, I think that's a good so, summary. So people that want to learn more about this, oh, yeah. want to want to help, what are they? What can they do? Yeah, Should so just just like go and talk to Cole <laughs> or. <laughs> So we've got the, the show notes for this. We'll have a little bit of detail. Um, we put out a blog post a couple of days ago highlighting what already exists in Trino. Um, you can refer to the Trino documentation. We're still working on that um, for a couple of these connectors, but it talks about how you can invoke the language now. Um, and then you can just stay tuned. We're excited about this feature, so it'll be hard to miss. Uh, keep an eye on the release notes. Future community broadcasts will probably highlight how progress has gone along this project. Um, and you'll be able to find what you need to either implement your PTFs or use the PTFs that are packaged with Trino. Um, the documentation will be up to date as well to make sure that no one has any questions. And if you ever do have questions, you can hop on the Trino Slack and show up and say hi, and we'll try to give you some help. So we already have a little bit of stuff in the in the developer guide, and we'll yeah. build up some more there. Yeah, and we, we really want the developer guide to get flushed out uh, over time so that once we support execution of PTFs in Trino, um, it's clear to everyone how you can go and implement your own PTFs, um, even if not to merge into the engine, but just to have them locally. We kind of mentioned that there's kind of this user empowerment where if you need a specific function for a specific use case, you can write that, and we want to make sure that our developer guide um, provides you with all the information you need to make that happen. So. We'll be updating that as well. We're going to be making sure that everything is as clear as could be. If there's anything you need or anything that you feel like needs to be added, then that's when you can reach out. And otherwise, just keep an eye on things because we really want to make sure that everyone can use this feature as fully as possible because it's really so. Good. So, but we want to supply like table functions. Yeah, we're going to supply some, well, right? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll implement functions as uh, that are useful and broadly applicable. For example, the sequence function might be a good candidate to implement pivot, pivot and so on. Yeah. One, of, one of the things we talked about is that this is a complex feature. We are, uh, we've been working on it piece by piece. And right now there are some limitations. So, so you can only define and invoke functions that don't take any input, any table inputs as, uh, as, as their input. So they have to be effectively leaves in the query plan. They have to take uh, constant scalar arguments or, or no arguments at all. Um, we're working on adding support for inputs, uh, table inputs to functions. So that's going to come up, come up, come out in the next couple months, I guess. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. And, and that, that, that's what Kasha was describing, being able to have the engine understand how to execute the functions and uh, natively and so on. That's mm -hmm. Uh, once that's in place, the I guess the full power of, of the table functions will be available. Now that, that's a huge challenge to do. Yeah, that, that's what like adding a generic oper a super operator that will be flexible enough to do anything. Because when we have it, then the the, the author of the PTF will just provide the logic, the, the body of the function, and we will plug it into the operator to process data. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. is the vision for that that then ultimately you like how would you write the table function then like is it a, like written in Java and then like as a as a plugin deployed or or right. like... that that's uh, for the foreseeable future yes in the longer term we might uh, support SQL defined table functions. Mm -hmm. You can use a SQL, uh, part of the SQL dialect to be able to do that. Or potentially other languages, like that could be um, uh, something we can explore. Yeah, but for now, it will look quite similarly to what we've got now. 
we have the interfaces already fixed and you just have to implement those. Uh, exactly, just just like aggregation functions, window functions, scalar functions, and so on. Yeah, or user-defined functions, like UDFs and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, this oh. is another form of user-defined functions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, that's super exciting. Um, I'm sure lots of people are already taking advantage of the pass-through, and everyone is waiting for more of this to come. So that's great. Thank you so much for, for your hard work on that, and we all... We're all rooting for you to get it done soon, right, Cassio? <laughs> That's cool. Any last words from anyone? I just wanted to mention one one curiosity about table functions. The 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 cap what well, the SQL specification defines that table function can do is so powerful that you could implement all of SQL as table functions and then a SQL crew would be just a nested invocation of function over function over function. <laughs> so you could you could We're not doing it, okay? You, you could uh, join as a as a table function, group by as a table function, order by limit, etc. Yeah, basically a table function is, is just an operation which takes some inputs and produces a tables and output. So it's like anything we like do, SQL, right? We have a join, it takes two tables, it applies the joining condition, it produces the output table. So you generalize this model and this is table functions. <laughs> Five years from now, we'll be talking about how table functions are a Turing complete programming language. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Awesome. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we're really excited about this and uh, Manfred, yeah, tune in to... next time in three weeks' time this time because we delayed this uh, episode one week. Um, Cole uh, will be chatting with Brian and the team from Raft about their usage of Trino, which should be super exciting. So don't forget to turn in next time. And with that, see you later. Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.